Hello and welcome to a football podcast. My name is Tavenga Sai and I'm joined by Nick Andrade this week. DG is away at MLS All-Star break. On today's show, we're joined by special guest Alistair Johnston of Nashville SC and your Canadian men's national team. Awesome interview with Alistair. Plus, the Vancouver Whitecaps resurgence coming back home. And of course, Arsenal are terrible. Nick, we're missing David this week. And I told you off air, I was feeling very low about soccer in general. But I talked to Alistair and I'm feeling re-energized about the game. That's good. It means I shouldn't say anything bad about Arsenal because you're in better spirits now. Um, <laughs> but that interview was incredible, by the way. You and David have killed your last few interviews. Uh, these these players are just so remarkably, I don't know, open and just it's just a treat to listen to. And I, I I'm, I'm excited for our listeners to listen to the interview. I mean, there's a lot to discuss and a lot to be excited about, right? Even if you're talking about Nashville specifically, one of the best teams in the West, uh, the East, sorry, and and a newcomer on the scene. I mean, they beat TFC last year, and here we are talking about them as a Eastern Conference contender. And then Canada, a game we're all going to on September 2nd, but then he's playing with Canada at home in Nashville, which is a crazy experience as well. So it's going to be an absolutely wild couple of weeks, right? Um, how was your... European football weekend? How is your your other stuff you got going on? Uh, European-wise, obviously, Liverpool looking like uh, title contenders already. Uh, let's go. <laughs> they play Chelsea next week, so we're this is a battle of the two top teams in England right now. Sorry to uh, burst your bubble there. Uh, but, Devang, I also look at this scenario of us being able to bond. So you and David had hosted a show together. David and I have hosted a show together, and now it's me and you. It's like, if you remember, if you used to watch Friends, you know, sometimes Joey and Phoebe would go on an adventure. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> yes, it would be Chandler yes. and Monica. This is our moment, so I'm really excited for what we have in store. I, and I, you know, we tested this with the test audience, and they really liked the, the bond and the chemistry, so I'm really excited <laughs> too, man. I think uh, I think we got this. Um, I'm glad you're excited about club football, because um, someone Super. has to feel joy. And I very much want to see VVD versus Lukaku because that'll be a blockbuster oh, event my um, next week. <laughs> the uh, Arsenal defenders were just getting trucked over. Man. <laughs> like, uh, there's a lot of issues. I think they should close down the, the club's uh, home right now because a lot of people have COVID and we're not really talking about it. But among the issues yeah. is that Romelu Lukaku was unguardable and poor Pablo Mari. I don't know if Anyone could have really stopped him, but he definitely can't. We know that. Um, yeah. I love this game, but the clubs I, I support are so, so down in the dumps right now that it's making the other games I watch, which usually infuse joy, they make me bitter and vengeful that um, we can't play as expressive football as teams as Watford, Nick. Is, is that what you're saying to me? <laughs> really? I don't I don't know where this is going for you, either more depression or Mark Mike Mikhail Arteta gets sacked or something like that. But producer Dylan said before the show, a good idea is maybe you should just start cheering for players like Alistair Johnson, and then it'll just Correct. make you happier uh, that you're just following these players and their success in the game. And then you have you can forget about Arsenal. You know, those years of of Wenger and Tyrion Reed, they're all gone now. So just cheer for your specific players and maybe you'll have a better time. I had a dream and I'm not sure if it was a nightmare, I guess TBD, but Wenger did come back in my dream. 
Um, I woke up before it ended, but it was one of those dreams where I woke up and it was uh, it was quite the sweat. All right. We will get to the Prem a bit later, but as always, a reminder, we are on patreon.com forward slash a football podcast. You join us there, you get exclusive access to Patreon-only episodes, instant game reactions, more interviews like the one you're going to hear coming up. Plus, you get the show ad-free and you get to join us on Discord where we got a lot of good questions this week and we're chatting throughout the weekend about all the games. It's a fun place. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash a football podcast and join us today. When we come back, we chat with the aforementioned Alistair Johnston, Nashville, uh, John Herdman, Fonzie, Jonathan David, uh, best player in CONCACAF, a lot of, lot of solid content banter if you if you will coming up next on fp welcome back to afp very very lucky to be joined this week by nashville sc defender and member of the canadian men's national team alistair johnston how's it going thanks for having me guys it's going really well can't complain at all and uh you know, exciting, exciting times for uh, both uh, Nashville SC and uh, the Canadian men's national team. So we have a busy couple of months coming up. So uh, no complaints over here. I was going to say, I feel very fortunate to catch you now, sir, because I feel like you're riding extremely high with a, a really good Nashville team that I think is now firmly in the conversation in the East. And I think I wanted to start there just in terms of it's a young club. We know it's a, it's a recent expansion franchise, but you start last year, um, obviously COVID hits everyone, but then we get to MLS's back and Nashville's dealt a second blow um, in terms of not being able to play those games. But you guys managed to regroup from that, get everything together, and then make a playoff run in where you beat uh, TFC. I know a club close to your heart as well, but I wanted to ask <laughs> you, like, how was that introduction to professional life? Because I have to imagine it was pretty challenging. It was it was quite insane to be honest. Um, it was funny when we go around the locker room and all the older guys are like, man, they kind of felt bad for us. Like this is not what a rookie year is supposed to be like. <laughs> um, but they also think that we got out of some things in terms of rookie duties just due to just due to social distancing. So they were like, you're lucky on that end. So it was a little little funny like that. But it, to be honest, it felt like one long preseason. It was crazy. It felt like we just gotten fit. Finally kind of figured out what our roster was looking like. We were all excited to get through that, that first eight weeks of hard running and, and, and really kind of, you know, going over the basic things, especially being an expansion team. You know, everyone was new. You're not the only new guy being a rookie. Everyone on that team from top to bottom was new. So going over all of that, and then obviously uh, we just began the season and then COVID hit. So we, we took some time off there. And then, then we got back pretty quick, though, into doing some individual sessions and some small group stuff. But that was a lot of fitness again, just getting all ready for that. And then finally got to the MLS's back tournament. We were hyped to go to that, real excited. We got down there and then COVID hit us pretty bad. And we were we were trapped in our rooms for two weeks down there in Orlando. And then you know what happens then is as soon as you get back, you got to do a pretty much a preseason again to get the fitness back. So it was a long, it was a long grind those first six months or so of 2020. But, you know, it was all worth it in the end once I got out there and was able to play but it was a pretty crazy um you know inaugural season for the club just being in the mls and and being able to share it with our fans which was a nice thing um by the end of the season being able to get people into the the games at nashville um which was nice but tell you what this uh this organization has been top class from uh from top to bottom so far and you know it's uh it's been a great city to be a part of and just love representing this this city for sure 
So definitely a challenging year. And I'm not saying anyone really has a blueprint for any of this stuff because we're all kind of learning on the fly. But I got to say for Nashville's sake, in terms of adapting to the league and kind of getting it together after all those things you just mentioned, I think having Gary Smith in the fold has been pretty fortunate for the club. I wanted to ask you like personally, Gary Smith has been around. He's, he's, he's kind of done it all. What has he been for you as a player? Um, he's, uh, he's been a great first coach, I think, for me to have uh, when you go into the league. I, I think you want someone that um, kind of fits your style as well. And me being a defender and him being, a lot of people would say, a bit more of a defensive-minded coach, but me also having a British background and kind of understanding that lingo and, and all that stuff definitely helped. Um, I, I know some of the other more American rookies struggled a little bit more than I did necessarily just because <laughs> I've kind of grown up in that environment where you know we were used to that that the English kind of way to a degree. So no, he's been great for me and and it took a while for me to uh, just to earn his trust, but that's exactly what you expect at this level, you know, and nothing's going to be handed out, nothing's going to be given. And I think that uh, it's really worked out well for me because once I did gain his trust, he's been a guy that, you know, he, he really values that in players that when he can count on you, he will count on you. Uh, doesn't really matter your age at that point. Uh, but getting over that first hurdle was definitely difficult. But, you know, that's what I, that was what was to be expected, you know, coming to the, the pro environment um, out of college. So he's been a great coach for me and he's taught me a lot in terms of how important it is to defend as a unit um, and just being completely mentally tuned in. And, and, and most importantly, it's just what it is to be a pro, you know, um, yeah. once you take that next step up, you know, what it really value in terms of uh, not just taking care of your body. Cause that's always something that I've been really good at, but just, you can't have one minute off. If you play 89 great minutes, but one bad minute, that's not acceptable anymore. Um, especially when we were an expansion franchise, when we knew, you know, if we were going to be in games, especially that first year, is that we were probably going to have to keep a clean sheet or or maybe concede one, you know, to, to be lucky to get out of there with three points. So that was a big thing for us, is, especially as defenders, is, hey, we can't afford to have a bad game because we have a bad game and it's not going to end for us. So just being mentally tuned in, I think is something he really drilled into me, which has been great. And, and I think, uh, the Canadian men's national team, it's something that I've tried to bring there as well. And, and, uh, John Herdman has been a big fan of that for sure. Well, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like, um, doing some research, you made the move to write back at school at wake, but I feel like mm-hmm. for Nashville, you are predominantly a right wing back. And I think there are some similarities to how you're being used for Canada as well. But like, how have you found that, that kind of transition as well, positionally? Yeah, so I started as a center mid and I played as a center mid until my senior year actually in college when I got moved to right back. Um, and it was kind of a freeing moment, honestly. I, I was a solid center mid, but I was never going to be anything that was going to be, <laughs> you know, MLS teams eyeing up. Um, so moving to the right back was a great choice. Um, fit my style and my physical traits really well. Um, so yeah, that first year at, at Nashville, we played a, a really solid back four. Um, and it was something that you know, it's something that Gary had, had always kind of tended to play um, throughout his time in the league. But he'd also been known to switch to a five at the back or, or a three center back kind of formation, um, depending on who we were lining up against. And, and as this year went on, uh, we had some injuries. Um, obviously, then some guys were missing uh, through gold cups and stuff like that. Walker Zimmerman being a big name for that. Um, and when you do lose a guy is as pivotal as Walker is to our to our back line. You know, sometimes we do need to switch things up. Um, um, tactically. And a lot of the time that meant going to a back three and it was something that he had tested out before. Um, and honestly it fit a lot of our, kind of our player profiles to a degree that, you know, we, we went out there, we rolled with it and, and it worked. So it's been one of those ones, whether it's playing in a back four or playing in a back three, 
I feel really comfortable with. And I, I can kind of lean on my time as a center mid, actually, when I play in that back three, because if I'm a right wing back, it's it's pretty much right back, but with a green light, which is a lot of fun for me offensively. But if I'm playing as a right side center back in the back three, it kind of feels like I get the quarterback at a bit. I'm a bit more mm-hmm. central. You know, I can really find those passes that I'm used to that I've been that I was doing my entire life playing as a as a deep lying center uh, central midfielder. So it's kind of been a nice balance for me. I feel really comfortable whether I'm in a right back in a back four or as a wing back in a back five or as that outside center back in a back five. So, you know, it's it, again, it's one of those things that I think it's great as a young player to just be able to, you know, go out there and and just kind of get thrown into the fire with those formations and those different tactical positions. You got to learn on the fly and, and really kind of, this is, this is the big development years. I think, especially being in a locker room with guys like Dax McCarty and, and these old guys that have been around the block and, and know a thing or two um, for sure within the league and, and have seen young players, how they develop and, and playing different positions. And all these guys can give me great, pointers in terms of what I need to do with whatever position I'm playing and you know I'm just trying to soak it all in and and really develop as a player because at the end of the day if I can show that I can play right back right wing back right side center back it only helps keeping me on the field so I'm all for that two things uh versatility is always a huge asset and secondly I hope you don't call Dax and those guys old guys to their face constantly <laughs> you know you know I can call Dax sometimes to his face. he just sometimes. he just got uh he just got a word his uh, 400 cap um special commemorative jersey this morning in training <laughs> so he knows he's getting up there now so he doesn't he has no problems with me calling him old <laughs> coming off a, a tight draw against Orlando I think we can all agree a very solid team in the East. And generally, yeah. I think Nashville is is in this tier a bit below New England, who I think is, is having a stormer. But there's Orlando, Philly, Nashville, New York City. It's funny, you mentioned last year and it, the defensive solidity was something you could hang your hat on. But I think this year, every time I turn on a Nashville game, I'm seeing a potential goal of the year candidate, whether it be mm-hmm. Hani Mukhtar or CJ or Alex, I feel like this is a by community kind of drive here. Is this a tactical thing from Gary and crew, or is this also guys kind of finding a different level individually and, and becoming those kind of scorers you needed last year? You know, I think it's it's something that they've always had within themselves. You know, Mike Jacobs did a great job putting this team together, and he went out and got the players that he wanted. And I think that it takes time to adapt to this league. Um, and it's the same with any league around the world. When When you come over from a foreign country and this is your first time living in America and you're going through a pandemic, it is difficult, you know, to really find your feet. And I think that now we've kind of, we have that structure and we have that, you know, that chemistry that's been built up over the year, um, over the past 18 months now, you could say, um, where those guys are really, truly starting to blossom. Um, I mean, Hani Mukhtar has always had that skill. It's not like he just, you know, uh, switch was flipped. It's just been, you know, he feels a little more comfortable. I think he's been fitter this year in terms of not having, any little nagging injuries. Um, and then also the addition of CJ Sapong has been uh, night and day. I mean, he's just, he provides such a presence up there. And, and then again, just a guy that has been in this league and has scored in this league and, and understands how this league works. I think that's really invaluable. Um, and I think around the field, you can see that a lot of the guys on our team have that uh, from Dax to Lovitz, um, Romney, the Zimmerman. I mean, a lot of these Godoy are great examples of guys that, 
um, are in that upper kind of echelon, but might be overlooked a little bit because they didn't necessarily play overseas or something like that, or have that really big name in terms of a uh, huge price tag or anything. But they're guys that have been in this league for for around the decade mark, each of them, and and have been really solid contributors wherever they've been. So I think that's been a big thing. Um, so yeah, just adding a guy like CJ Sabong has also helped. Definitely, you know, just unlock some things for Randall Leal and, and Hani Mukhtar up there and all those attacking players. So it's been a real joy to watch. I mean, us as defenders, you know, we're just, how can we get the ball to you as quick as possible <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. put you guys in, in positions to succeed? So that's kind of our job as a back line. But no, it's been a ton of fun playing with them this year for sure. I think Danny Lovitz is probably one of the best examples of someone just working incredibly I, remember, I was with tfc when we picked him mm-hmm. in the draft and it was not a sure thing at all it's like sure you come to camp and we'll see how things go but he made himself undroppable and then now yep. you see what he's doing with nashville and with the u.s national team it's awesome it's awesome to see all right that's the nashville story alistair but i know a lot of fans of our show are very excited for what's coming in september it's been a long time coming i was reading a quote mm. from you i think this is after Maybe the the Bermuda game or the Cayman Islands game, but you were saying I was born in '98. I have never experienced something like this. So I think for me, yep. <laughs> who's ten years older, I'm also like, holy crow! I have never seen anything like this either. What was it like in Chicago after that second leg against Haiti? Because I think a lot of us um, watching from home felt this catharsis about being able to to witness something we haven't been able to see ever. But what was it like there for you guys? You know, it's it, when I look back on that one, it, it's an interesting one because I think when you when I looked around and I saw how emotional and and how big of a thing it meant to the older guys, it kind of really put into perspective for us young guys what this truly means. Because I think when you go around to, to the younger guys like myself, Kamal Miller, and then obviously guys like Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, these kind of guys, it's we went into that game like, yeah, no, we're expected to win this. And that's kind of right. since I've been in the program, we've we've been a very solid team, you know. Um, but before that, I think for the guys like Milan Borian and, and Jonathan Osorio, who have, the guys who have seen some trials and tribulations, you know, have, have been through some really tough moments as well with this program. And in order to just kind of see it coming out with that uh, little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess you could say, um, to a degree for those guys, it really kind of put into perspective like, wow, like, you know, we're, we really are creating history here. But for us young guys, it was like, hey, like, this isn't, this kind of isn't our ceiling. Like, we, we feel like we have so much more to accomplish. Um, and so much more to show the world we're able to do. So it was a really cool moment in that, in kind of that sense that it was like, yeah, we did that, but man, like when we go home, this is going to be a really big thing. You know, this is kind of even bigger than what we've, we can truly grasp our minds around. So, you know, I think when I originally went in, it was, my idea was always going to be like, okay, you know, 2022 is it's going to be, you know, that's going to be really tough, but 2026 is what we're kind of building towards. But as soon as I got in there and we realized how talented this group was, it's like, no, we're not waiting for 2026. Like 2022 is a real thing and we're going to be really disappointed if we don't make it there. So uh, I think that's been a really cool moment uh, within the group is just realizing like, no, this isn't something that's far-fetched. It's, it's there for the team if we want it. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's going to be a tough seven months, but that's CONCACAF, you know, nothing that you really want that bad is going to come easy. So it's something that everyone I know in the group is super excited for. And I could just feel the energy. It was great after those ones, um, after the gold cup, we went up and played in Toronto. You could just feel the energy within the crowd. And even they were cheering me on a little bit. It's like, okay, this is cool. You know, I'm <laughs> it's hard, wife, I'm it's hard man. Player. It's hard. Yeah. You know, I'm getting a little bit of love now. 
Tejon came and we're like, he scored. Got to cheer. We got yeah, to cheer it, cheer. man. He's, he's doing well. Yeah. He's doing well. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, still to this day, it's it's pretty exceptional. And, and like you said, work to do. And you, you, we talked about Gary, but I think John Herdman, we know well as Canada fans from his work with the women's team um, and helping them lead the way to a gold medal uh, that we just witnessed in Tokyo. But yeah. I think John's man management is, is uh, something that we, we hear about a lot. What's your relationship with him been like? He is, um, yeah, he's the ultimate man manager. I'll tell you what. Um, the best person of perspective, whenever I come back to Nashville after, um, Steve Guppy, my assistant, always pulls me over and he goes, Nate, whenever you come back from Canada, you always just seem more confident in the ball and more sure of yourself. I'm not <laughs> sure what it is going on over there, but you always do. And that's just, it's strictly down to that coaching staff at Canada. I'll tell you what, they are the best at instilling confidence in you. Um, and making you feel like you belong and that you can, you know, create history and, and reach that next level and really, you know, reach that untapped potential that you weren't even sure you really had. Um, and, and John's been unbelievable at that with just in terms of, yeah, his man management, understanding each player, um, what they need. Um, some guys need a little more tough love. Some guys need that kick up the butt, you know, but other guys need a little bit of, you know, a little cozy up. I've never been one that's needed that, but at the same time, you know, he, he's just so good at kind of pushing the right buttons on every single person, that, you know, yeah, I can do better and I want to do better. And uh, he's been the, he's just been the perfect, perfect coach. I think to lead this program, um, with the current crop of players that's coming through, everyone's so bought into everything that, uh, everything that he's putting out for us. So, you know, it, it is a really exciting time, I think for, uh, Canadian players and, and Canadian fans, I think watching this team, it's a team that's quite enjoyable, um, to watch and, and you can kind of feel that sense of camaraderie that, you know, he has everyone in there bought in to play for the badge. You're not, no one's there just because it's an extended vacation or, you know, whatever it is. It's everyone's there because we want to represent Canada and we want to win. And and I think that's something that he's really instilled with this culture that he's he's brought in. And it's something you saw with the Canadian Women's National when he was there. And they've continued to to carry that legacy on. I mean, look what they, look what they just completed an unbelievable mm-hmm. journey in the past month. Um, it's kind of captivated all the Canadian um, soccer players across the country, uh, girls and boys. So, you know, I think he's, yeah, he was a big, big foundational piece in that too. So, you know, that's something that, that us in the men's program look at and go, yeah, why not us as well? So he's been a big part and I really just enjoy, you know, enjoy uh, playing for him and, and he's done a great job at, you know, really setting that culture at what it needs to be to be a winning um, national team. Do you know what he's listening to in that headphone he's got in? Is it like a spotter or something? Or you know, it's funny. He's he originally started with the white AirPod, and then he got like a tan colored one. I think to kind of blend <laughs> into his skin tone. Spy, and I, yeah, it's spy I, stuff. you know, I've never asked it, uh, but I'm guessing he's got yeah, he's got some. He might have our our tactical guy up in the. Up in the stand, uh, up in the stands, watching, breaking, giving him, feeding him some numbers, saying, "Oh no, Alistair's, <laughs> Alistair's past completion has just dropped below ninety percent. You gotta, you gotta have a word with him, probably something like that." I wanted to, and you can't pick a Canadian player because we're going in the octagon. But who do you yeah. reckon is the best player in Concacaf going right now? No Canadians included, because I think we got some options. But can you choose one? Oh, that's gonna be a, it's a tough one. I mean, it's it's hard to go against Fonzie or Joe David, but I won't pick yeah. Canadian, even though Tejan's been on fire too. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't gone up against Pulis yet, but from what I've heard from all the guys, that he is he is that next level player. So I'm excited for that matchup. Um, 
I was bummed that uh, Chucky Lozano got hurt in the Gold Cup and had to pull out because that was one that I was kind of really eyeing up with being a really good matchup. But, you know, I, the one that I'm probably most intrigued about seeing, being a huge Premier League fan, um, is probably going to be Mikel Antonio for Jamaica. Uh, I want to yep. see this up close and personal. Um, the power, the strength, the technical ability. He is a handful and a half um, for any any defender. So I, I am curious to see him and, and Leon Bailey, how they connect uh, for Jamaica. So uh, on in terms of top-end talent, I think Pulisic probably is it, if you're not looking at Canada, him or Chucky Lozano. But I'm most intrigued to go against Mikel Antonio, I'd say. I'm sad my co-host David Goss is not here because he'd love that answer. He's a Mikhail Antonio stan. Okay. Super Jack for September 2nd. You can have friends and family there, hopefully. Uh, that's the plan. You know, it's it's a pretty cool window for me going, playing in Toronto um, where I grew up and then coming back down to play in Nashville where I play club and then going back up to play Toronto. So this is the best window for me in terms of um, just having people out there for the game. So it, it should be should be a pretty packed crowd of Johnstons and and, fam- and other friends and family. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but it will be interesting playing in Nashville too. I'm excited for that one against the U.S. And That's right. Really getting right. booed and booed in my uh, hometown right now. So that that'll be a fun one too. So I mean, all the games. I mean, I've talked to some of the guys who've gone through it on my team, my Nashville team, um, just through with their clubs, and they've just been talking about each how each place is. Um, uh, there's not going to be a single easy game. Um, you know, no. every single place, whether you're playing U.S. or Mexico, obviously, just those are the top dogs in CONCACAF as they have been for the past little while in terms of the quality on the pitch. And then you go to a place like Jamaica where the grass is six inches long or you go to El Salvador where you have to fly. You're flying in on a horizontally just to land the airplane. You know, so there's going to be some funny <laughs> ones. Honduras, where they're going to be pulling the, the fire alarms and setting off firecrackers. So... <laughs> You know, I'm looking forward to all those games. And, you know, that's something that I don't think a lot of European kind of fans understand about the CONCACAF. They'd probably say, like, yeah, U.S. Mexico should qualify every time. But they don't really understand the grueling travel and just how difficult some of the places you have to go to play are. I mean, just going to play in Haiti, some people would look at that and go, oh, it was only a 1-0 win or whatever it was down there. But, my goodness, that is that was an insane trip. It was eye-opening for all of us on the team, going to a, a, a third-world country, which was in just such disarray, and it was really tough to see. And then going playing on turf in 40-degree temperatures was insane as well. So, you know, like there's a lot of places in CONCACAF that just that are just super difficult to play, super difficult environments, but that's what makes this, uh, this confederation so much fun to play in. You mentioned the Gold Cup. Uh, what it might be impossible to answer this question because it was maybe one of the most captivating games I've ever seen as a fan. Um, but I'm talking about that loss against Mexico and Houston. Yeah, Can you take one single thing away from that match as you walk away? Like what will stick with you the most? Because I think between the handbags and like the, the wildness of everything going on, you saw a Canadian team that, that kind of grew up before us, right? And I think this mm-hmm. was one of those seminal moments. I think the biggest thing I took away from that game is I wouldn't necessarily say it was fear, but there was a respect in the Mexican players' eyes and the fans and Tata Martino's eyes that he kind of came in. You can kind of sense that they came in here thinking, all right, yeah, Canada, we've seen this one before. Score an early one. We'll roll over these guys pretty good. But they didn't understand that not only do we have talent, but we also have that fighting desire now, which you might not have seen before. Um, you know, that we are willing to stand up to the, the CONCACAF bullies to a degree. You know, we're not going to go without a fight. It didn't matter if we were playing in front of 70,000 Mexicans or not. 
you know, we were going to stand our ground and we weren't going to give over. Um, so I think that was a really cool moment is just seeing like, and, and you could sense it on the field. They were like, okay, these guys aren't what we expected. These guys can play. It's different it now. Is different. Yeah. This isn't the Canada we're used to. And then you look at it and that's us playing without, I mean, you looked at the injuries and, and the guys who weren't there, you know, it, Mexico all of a sudden, you tell they're like, okay, this is a different cat now. This isn't this isn't the same cat we were used to. So I think that was probably the coolest moment. It's just just sensing that kind of that respect now that we gained just from that performance. And obviously we were we were bummed not to to advance there. I thought we had a great chance, um, but also that feeling when we walked off the field that you know it we belonged up there. It wasn't it wasn't something that it was too big of a moment or anything like that. It was a young group of Canadian men who who show that they belonged. And I think that's something that, you know, we could hold our, our chins high about. And, and, you know, that's, that's got us all the more fueled up for these games that start in September. Uh, I think I could talk to you for a few hours, but I know you've got things <laughs> to do. So uh, I wanted to close on a, a couple of things, even more local, but you play with Vaughn Azuri, uh, League One Darlings, um, a, a program mm-hmm. that's produced quite a few players. You mentioned Kamal Miller. Um, if you're watching the CPL, Austin Ricci, Ryan Telfer, there's a lot of Dane St. Clair. Um, the list goes mm-hmm. on. And now we have the CPL, obviously, um, here now, Alistair, and, and this new pathway for Canadian professionals. Um, I know League One was important for you and it was it helped you kind of go forward and, and go into school. But with the CPL now mm-hmm. existing, do you see this as an even better chance for for players um to get eyeballs on them? Because I think at the end of the day, you're not going to be exposed or or seen if no one's watching. And I think this league, one of the many things they can do is produce more environments for people to be seen. Yeah, I think it's exactly that. You know, when you look around at all the big footballing countries, there's something they all have in common is they have a really strong league. Um, attached to them. And I think that's something that for us to take that next step as a footballing country is that we, yeah, we needed to have our own league where Canadian talent was getting the chance to play at a younger age and, and showcased on the professional level. And I think that was what was great about league one is that because we didn't have the CPL, a lot of guys who should be playing pro or should be playing at that higher level were forced to play in this league. So me coming through as a 15, 16 year old and getting to play against men who should be making real money playing pro soccer um, from that age on was unbelievable. And, and, you know, it also, um, I think it's, it's just as big for the coaches as it is for the players is that getting that coaching, the Canadian coaching to that next level is going to be super important. And the only way to do that is to give them, put them into pro environments and let them work with guys full time. Uh, so this is another thing with the league one is without CPL, a lot of those coaches were coaching in league one. You look right. at forge and obviously York nine. Um, and I think that was, that was kind of the best thing that I got lucky with is that at, at Vaughn is that we had such amazing coaches, um, that I was able to work with from the years from age 15 and onwards from Karma Zacco and, and Patrice Geyser. It was just, it was unbelievable. The knowledge of the game and the connections they had within Canadian soccer and turned out, with uh, American schools too, which helped me get down there and, and, you know, get my education and also grow as a man and grow as a player. So I think that, yeah, if I came through a couple years later with the CPL thing, it would have been a different story. Um, I think it's only, it's only going to help these young players again. Yeah. Just getting that exposure and that opportunity to play in a pro environment from a younger age and, and truly understand um, what it means to be a pro and, and how to grow as a player. And as an uh, individual at that age is going to be massive. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see where this league goes. You know, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's only, it's got a great upward trajectory. And, and I, and I think when you look around the world again, is 
the leagues that have the best coaches will attract the best players. And it's time for us to really start promoting Canadian coaches and giving them the opportunity to. Um, and, and that'll really take us to the next level. Because once you get that kind of set up and then we really get the academies going, um, I think it's going to be just a breeding ground for professional footballers that will find their way into the MLS or the CPL or even overseas and, and playing in massive matches for the Canadian men's national team. And I think that is just, we're now really getting into the building blocks of what it takes to become a footballing nation. And, and I think everyone should be excited by that. Hook it to my veins, man. I'm, uh, <laughs> I can run through a wall right now. Um, all right. Last one. I, th- I believe you worked with friend of the show, Clayton Hansler on a super draft preview a few years back about mm-hmm. your artwork. And I wanted to ask you what you're working on right now. Right now it's actually been, it was supposed to be a gift for my mom, which is coming up soon. Her birthday is a couple months away, but I started early on a drawing of me and my brothers when we were younger. Um, all wow. of us were in, I was in a soccer jersey of Morris Singers to represent. Um, of course. Funny when we wow. got back from camp and I'm drawing all three of us. So I'm going to send that one up to uh, to mom, hopefully, in, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, it'll get there in time for her birthday. As a Richmond Hiller, I know that club well, sir. So shouts to Aurora. Yes, you do. Um, thanks so much, Alistair. This was a blast. Uh, best of luck with Nashville. And of course, best of luck with the, the Canadian team. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Coming up next on AFP, Nick is back. We chat MLS, Montreal, Vancouver, plus a wild week in European football. And all that glitters is gold. Gold? As Smash Mouth once said, welcome back to AFP, Nick. I'm, a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that immediate that. cringe moment. But I had that teed up and we had to go with it. Um, it's a joyous occasion, though, because the Whitecaps are back in Vancouver. And would you look at that? They're winning games. I think probably the peak or highlight for this club in the last however many years came over the weekend. BC Place was rocking. The Whitecaps, of course, along with CF Montreal and TFC had to start in the States, but the Whitecaps were the last to return. Ryan Gold, the new boy, the the chosen one, the, um, the 10 <laughs> that they've been lacking, was the 10 that they lacked, and it didn't matter. Rossi, Vela, Atuesta, LAFC could not stop the Whitecaps, Nick. I think I'm growing up because... I am a Toronto guy and I'm a big TFC person. I lived in Vancouver and I went to a lot of Whitecaps games, but I don't think I've ever been this happy for this team and fans of this team as I was this weekend. It was really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, just uh, getting to go back to the stadium, like we've seen it in Toronto, we've seen everyone go to BMO Field, we've experienced it. It's just a remarkable sensation after being away so long and to, to have a result like that, when it's your first game back, it's just it's just so sweet. And I, a friend of mine, Sarita Patel, she's actually the uh, Whitecaps reporter, and she was sending out a bunch of tweets and videos of just how happy these people were. And it's remarkable. And it just it, they've gone eight unbeaten. It looks like uh, there's some momentum there. And getting back home, and now you're able to play those games at home, it's just going to add another step uh, further. And Ryan Gold, he looks like, I don't know, maybe he's better than Billy Gilmore already. That's what I got to say. Scottish <laughs> Scottish hopes wow. alive. Dundee, United, looking good. Let's go. 
And Brian White. I mean, you want to talk about good pickups yeah. and tipping your cap. I mean, this is a player maybe that is more known by his limitations than what he can do, but what he can do is score. And it doesn't look always pretty, but a very savvy pickup for the Whitecaps who are now, I believe, unbeaten in eight matches. And in the conversation, I don't know if that's being charitable because there's a lot of teams in said conversation for playoff spots, but they're not out of the conversation like some other teams that we're about to talk to. But I think that, <laughs> considering we had left MDS... Um, not for dead, but I think we would we weren't we wouldn't have been surprised if MDS wasn't the coach of this team anymore um, at this time right. when they came back to now where you are three points back and you've got a game in hand on San Jose. It's it's quite the turnaround, and I mean again, growing up, you love to see it. Yeah, um, I think we I think we were talking too earlier this season just how lifeless almost Vancouver looked, and now this whole you know they're able to play at home like the playoffs don't seem far out. I know there's some injuries there, but the, I don't know. This team can continue. It's just looking good. That team that is buried or probably is nearly buried. TFC <laughs> going to Inter Miami, a rocket, a raucous, sorry, drive pink stadium. It was lit. Yeah. And they got to see Rodolfo Pizarro um, just embarrassed guys and, and Inter Miami do what they said they were going to do. I mean, all the brochures and all the marketing material, this is probably exactly what they envisioned. But I don't think anyone envisioned TFC being on the other side of this drubbing. Um, I, I said this uh, at the midweek game. I'm like, there's a lot of games left, but I don't know if that's a good thing. And with the Prezo injury and, and trying to find these silver linings, it is getting harder and harder. And I think the issues with this club are just being magnified to a point where we cannot look away at how we got here in terms of roster construction. Yeah. It looked like to, I don't know, Inter Miami, if you're losing that big, and it looks like they were almost dominant against TFC. It's like, if that's the team that's beating you handily and there's real no contest between them, it's like, where does this team go in terms of, I don't know, you again, you talked about making the playoffs, but it just it's, it's just a sad sight. And they have all the talent in the world, which is remarkably frustrating. But I guess in the key areas where maybe you need some more, uh, they're just lacking. I don't know. It's just it's just sad to see. You you thought after Chris Armas got let go that there was kind of like an up and up. Javier Perez almost like the second coming, and now they're just falling and crashing, and it's kind of sad to see. To bang like this, I don't know. It's not. I don't want to say that this is the worst TFC team I've seen because um, you know when they first came into the league, but it's looking bad, especially with the talent they have. It's kind of sad watching Omar try to run out there, and I just couldn't. It. It was tough. And I think the the center back position for the entire season has been a big issue. And I think in the midfield, we have more questions than answers. And the connection between the designated players, will that work out long term? Um, you have Sebastian Javinko available, which is causing some of us <laughs> to to helplessly flail at some no. bizarre combination which Seba, Pizuelo, and Soteldo could play together. It's, it ain't happening. It's not happening. I think we have to look towards... Um, the next season and figuring out what you have in some of these younger players. The other thing is like, I don't know what you gain by putting Luke Singh in a position where he's got to play with a kind of hampered Omar. Like, I don't know if he's learning a lot there, right? He's, he's in a really bad spot. So you can argue, is this a good teaching experience or is this just throwing people into the fire? Yeah, it could very much well be in terms of like not learning anything. You see sometimes with really bad teams, it just they're young players. I I don't want to get into a Buffalo Sabers and analogy wow. here, but I'm just saying. Wow, 
if you're not in the right situation, it doesn't let your young players grow. And it just, especially when you, there's mistake after mistake and then your team is losing all the time. It's like your young players, like how do they get that motivation to actually stay at their, you know, peak physical condition when they're kind of losing and, and, and things are going wrong. My question to you actually is if this case is that they don't make the playoffs and they're, they're, they're in the bottom for most of the year and they end near the bottom at the end of the year, what is your evaluation on what they would need to do if that's the case? Like, do you blow it up? Do you, you know, take some key players where what you have already, some of your international signings, all that stuff? Do you, mm-hmm. like, how do you rebuild this to make it better next year? Is it a case of just getting better center backs that are more experienced? Well, I think if the club remains on the current trajectory, at complete house cleaning from the very top okay, down. Wow. Okay. Right? Wow, and I, it goes beyond Ali Curtis, and I think it should. Oof. It should generally already. I think if you, if you're asking what I think is going to happen after the season, I, I think Ali's in a tough spot, but I think it's beyond him as well um, in terms of where this club is at. I, it's more than the center back, though. To answer your question, it's more than it's more than adding a Jonathan Mensah or, or Walker Zimmerman. I think there's yeah. th- there has to be a restructuring here, and it, it wasn't always going to be pretty forever. I think we knew that, but I think this transition from post Vanny. I'm getting reminders to Arsenal, man. I'm getting horrible flashbacks, <laughs> oh, no. and I I feel like everything is bleeding into one. So I I hope <sighs> that uh, that things work out better. But yeah, anyways, to a more positive story, and it's interesting that I call him this positive. But I think Mason Toy's emergence with the CF, CF Montreal and CF Montreal in general being a bit of a darling in terms of watching yeah. them and another strong performance uh, against the Union, at the a Union team that I mean, if you want to talk about measuring sticks and like where are you at i think it's harder to to figure that out when you go to to chester pa and play the union but they look great and mihailovic again was an important goal but they gave mason toy a contract extension and then announced as well that he's going to be out for a few months and i think if you want to be cynical and a and a jerk kind of can be like well that's par for the course he's hurt again but i think the fact that they gave him the contract extension while announcing that he is going to be trying to get right physically for a few months it's good to see it's good to see um, clubs doing this because I, I feel like I've heard and I've seen situations in the past where it's definitely not like this. And I think this this faith is, is strong. It's a strong message to send. They're such a fun team to watch. Like Wilfred Nancy has been able to put together such a fun team. I, the game against uh, New York Red Bulls was just insane. Being at home, whatever it is. I know there's a lot of questions with their their striker situation. Uh, heading into the season, mm-hmm. where does that lead now? Like Mason Toy's part of part of the attack. Like where does that lead in terms of where they're headed now? I mean, they're in sixth place right now. Do you see them faltering? Uh, I think they'll be in the mix till the end. Yeah, I think Brian Johnson can play. I don't know if he's he's an out note starter every week, but he can play. And I think you you have. Yep, you beat me. You could do some false nine business. I think there is there's room to play here, um, even without Toy up front, but it's doable. Then I think the, again, Wanyama, Piet, you can do things in this league with a strong pivot. Um, all right. Quickly, Tejan Buchanan is not going to MLS All-Star, Nick. He is pulled yes. out. A couple of other <laughs> players announced they were not going, but they announced an injury. Tejan posted on IG that he's on a plane. He sure is. KJ, friend of the show, yeah. replied to that tweet with a Belgian flag. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> Lukaku and Chelsea? No. Lukaku and Chelsea or 
actual Belgium, but it seems like we might get some signatures on some paper and we might get a sign of where Tejon's going to go when the MLS season wraps up. Where do you think it is, sir? Well, that's I was excited because I was seeing those Chelsea rumors and that'd be fun to an extent. I know a lot of people on Twitter were upset with that and in terms of the rumors with Chelsea because it's like, okay, he's going to go on loan to 18 places, never yeah. get a crack loan at, FC. The, at the first team. Loan FC for sure. And then that's just going to be a bad route. Uh, I disagree with that. There's always, especially with young players, there's always some sort of hope, especially uh, uh, on the left side. In Chelsea, I think there's some holes there where he could see some action, but I don't think that's going to happen. And then seeing KJ's tweet, Belgium, it's probably looking like the the biggest rumor was Club Bruges. I think that's the most, I think that's an important move for him if that's where he would go. I am not really sure yeah. about a Chelsea move, especially, Agreed. I mean, Club Bruges has Champions League football, right? So that's an experience that he can get with a first team if he makes it to the first team. So well said. And I think that's definitely something that agents are looking out for, right? Like it doesn't necessarily matter if you go into the biggest club right now, but what's your stage? Where can you perform? Mm. And if it's yep. CL, it's CL, right? And you're going to play. Like I I think the cynics are right about the Chelsea move. Like I don't necessarily, I mean, he, he's definitely going to be loaned somewhere else probably. I say definitely yeah. probably, but that, I feel yeah. like he wouldn't stick there and then Bruges like I again maybe this is like extreme recency bias but I'm watching Sambi Lakanga play consistently for Arsenal and he's not at a place at all and he's coming from that <laughs> league as well right so I think it is right. definitely a club a, a league sorry that has shown it can develop players to a very high devil- ability and it's the evidence is pages long so good move I think Okay, question for you then. Like David said, the most likely scenario is that he gets loaned back to New England. If, let's say, he signs with Bruges and they have Champions League football, like, is he trying to, like, nudge in that direction? I would, right? I don't know, though, because I feel like New England is in, New England is probably yeah. going to win the Supporters' Shield. They have to win MLS Cup. I think Bruce Arena is a pragmatist, if nothing else. Like, he... I, and I feel like Tejan probably also feels like he owes it to his guys as well. I'd be I'd be stunned if he left um, okay. this window. Okay. You never that know, though. Sense. You never know. Um, I guess we'll get brief Prem, Nick. Um, yeah. I watched Chelsea and I'm like, yeah, they're really good. They're really good. They yes. tore, they tore a, a team worse than them to parts. But I'm curious after the first couple of weeks, has your top four changed? Like, how are you looking at the league? Uh, no, I don't think I was surprised with Man United. Um, they, they dropped points against Southampton in a game that they should have won. Uh, but, uh, the top four that I had was Chelsea, uh, Man City, Liverpool, and Man United. I think that doesn't go unchanged right now. Uh, Man City, like, I I know that there was a stumble with Tottenham, but you saw against Norwich that they were, you know, a class above everybody else, but Chelsea. I don't know how else to say it, but they look completely dominant. Yeah. There's not a position, maybe on the left side, that's the only weakness I see with them. But I mean, like Conte came off the bench in that game and they were still phenomenal. Sickening. So It's a uh, sickening bench that yeah. was on display. And uh, Jules Kouande is probably going there too. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So it's sickening, man. It's, yeah, and they got disgusting. a pretty damn good coach. Uh, but I think the most important yeah, thing out, out of all this talk, sorry, is just matching I think the most important thing is can you match Man City's bench and if you look at Chelsea's bench now I think uh, there's a strong case that yes they can their bench is almost as strong as their first team unless Timo Werner's missing I think that's fair that's about it I think that's fair I think that's definitely fair um 
Manchester United, Fred, Matic, that's not it at CDM. I know people are <laughs> no, like, where is Sancho? Yeah. Where are where are the guys you brought in? And yeah, he should play them, but oh, I don't know what's going on back there. That I thought they were joking with Matic and, and Fred still going. Right. But when you unserious it's weird. They're still on serious. When yeah. you spend that much money on Sancho on Varan, why aren't you spending money on a on a DM? Right. Go all in. That's all. Yeah, go exactly. all in, and you're seeing literally your biggest rivals go all the way the hell in. They're not waiting for nobody. Um, all right, that's a quick tour. When we return to wrap up, it's the mailbag. Ask AFP. Welcome back, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Ask AFP. Thanks to everyone who sent their own questions. This week, if you didn't get the chance to send your own question, just hop on Twitter and use the hashtag AskAFP and send them our way. Devang, this week I could potentially do a David Goss impression. I've been waiting for this. I'm not going to. Wow. What a a guy. You know, we talk about someone you can champion, someone you can respect, Nick Andrade. (laughs) Exactly. So I want him to listen to this episode and, and realize that I decided It'll sting. not It'll sting, to do it. You got to imagine yeah. he's in LA. He's in LA on a beach chair being like, wow, what? 100%. 100%. But I'm sure he's sipping Coronas on the beach. For sure. Enjoying and a he, bunch and, of soccer and as well. he is still family. So just to you. Exactly. He is still family. All right, Jason. He's our first uh, question here from Patreon and also our Discord. So check that out. If you want to talk to us directly, um, and his question is, are there any CPL players that could make the move to MLS? And if so, any guesses on what potential transfer fee would it look like? So I I don't want to tip my, pat myself on the back, but Jonathan Sirwa was just recalled by CF Montreal today from Valor. And I don't also think that counts to the question that Jason asked. So I will move on. It's a very interesting question. I'm, I'm looking at guys in the mold of Joel Waterman for CF Montreal. Okay. I think there's the usual suspects like your Bustoses, your Borges. You're like, yeah, they could probably play uh, in MLS. But I'm looking at TMG for mm-hmm. Pacific. I'm looking at guys like David Norman Jr., who just recently basically started playing center back. But I think you're seeing him become one of the best in the league for Cavalry. Um, and I'm looking at some of the keepers. I think Marco Carducci could probably play and MLS today. I'm confident in saying that. Um, mm-hmm. Defenders and goalies, I think, are going to be where you can do business um, if you want to be cost-effective in MLS. Again, I think the, the roster rules are not helpful in this regard. And I think the fee, I don't think transfer market is the all-be-all and end-all. But I think there is there's a, some consistency there. Where I think you're looking at like 250K or you're looking at something in that six-figure region um, as reasonable. But... It's interesting. I don't know if the rules allow this to be that 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 pipeline to flow that well outside of the Canadian teams. So it's going to probably be going to be dependent on on those clubs buying in. And in some cases, they already did and dispatched these guys. So it, it's it's going to. I think it'll be less less likely to see a, a huge amount of flow just yet. Devang, what's the rules? I'm not too familiar, but what the rules in terms of Canadian players? They're not domestic players in the MLS, correct? It has to correct. be U.S. born players. So that Correct. adds another layer, doesn't it? For sure. For sure. I mean, you could be you could be a homegrown player and be Canadian. Correct. But 
Um, it's yes. a huge layer, and it's 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 why the CPL exists. To be honest, that's one of the reasons. But it's a huge hurdle for uh, for that. Nick, not me, another person from Twitter asks: Does Pacific FC upset the Whitecaps in the Canadian Championship, Devang? Ooh, especially after we just talked about how hot I was going to say. So are. think about this. So think. Look at Pacific FC. A fair number of these guys either graduated from the academy, came through the academy, have links to Whitecaps or Whitecaps 2. Like, you want to talk about a show-me game or a chip-on-your-shoulder game? Um, Pamo Dukas, like, this is going to be electric. And I do think <laughs> if you're looking to, to pick off a Whitecaps team that has been riding high, this might be the scenario. Yeah. I think one team will be very much up for it. And I, I heard... Uh, quotes and I think Matt dropped in the Discord. MDS is taking this seriously, but like they have to take it up to ten seriousness because I think that's where yeah. Pacific will be. I'm going to call the upset. I think Pacific wins. Ooh, okay. This actually connects with the next question that we're asking because Nick also asked if any other MLS team will be upset by a CPL team. So Jonathan also asks, could York United beat TFC, and which section will Devang be cheering for? One of the biggest decisions of my life, frankly. It's trading Hillcrest <laughs> Mall for the Eaton Center, I guess. Oh, um, man. Mr. Sub, uh, <laughs> Elgin Mills location for Mr. Sub Union Station location. It's a huge yeah. test of my character. I think I have, you know what, though? I, I ain't go- I'm going to go to this game and I'm going to cheer for York United. I know it sounds like it might be okay. a shocking thing to no? my TFC brethren, but. Um, I like what the club is doing. I like the vibes, as they say. And I've I've sweated tears of joy and, and sadness for TFC many years, and that won't change. But for this game, I will be back in York United because I want to see them do the damn thing. I don't think both... I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of upsets in terms of MLS teams losing, but I, I mm-hmm. do like Pacific's chances in that Whitecaps game. I think TFC at this point, it's like, you've got to, you've got to win something. So I, I, I pray, I pray they could maybe put up a fight here. I was going to say, I, I appreciate you picking York United because I am technically, I was born in Toronto, but I am a Brampton man's and my Let's friend go. Mike who listens to the show as well, always says you're from Brampton. So remember it. So I really appreciate you sticking to your roots today. You got to, man. You got to. Uh, finally, we got one more question. This is C. Uh, and he asks, is Ryan Gold the Whitecaps Messiah? I will tell you what he is. He is something they haven't really had in a while, a long time. So, yes, I think I can safely say not to put someone into a spot where they're bound to fail like he was called Irish Messi. I'm not doing that here by calling him <laughs> the Messiah or Scottish Messi. Sorry, big apologies there, yeah, Scottish Messi. Yes. Um he, I think, he, but he, when you talk about players that unlock a team, like that is that is what Ryan Gold can be for Vancouver. And again, small sample size, but there are there are players that come in and they make everyone around them better, and they increase the ability of everyone else. And then you suddenly realize, wait a minute, the squad wasn't that bad before, and we've seen them across the league. And I think Ryan Gold fits that mold. So why not? Why not dream big? I would love to see when Lucas Cavallini comes back and he's one hundred percent. That'd be a nice partnership. You said it, sir. All right. That is the mailbag. Many thanks for your questions. Continue to send them in. We love them. We love to read them. Um, Shouts to Jason and Nick and Jonathan for the cues and see a reminder or rating or review wherever you get this podcast would be extremely helpful for us. It gets into more people's ears that way. We're also on Twitter at a football pod. 
and patreon.com forward slash a football podcast. As always, a massive thank you to Dylan Wilson on the ones and twos. A major shout to Alistair Johnston for joining us in a great chat about everything Nashville and Canada. And thanks to you, Nick. As always, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>